I had a I had a water bed in my high school my high school room, <laughs> and it did, it didn't soak up shit. <laughs> <laughs> A music podcast. We're back with a brand new episode. It's been a second. Uh, you know, the holidays and everything. Hope everybody had a wonderful holiday and a new year. And uh, we're happy to be back. Lots of stuff coming up, which we're going to talk about maybe after the podcast. But first off, as always on this podcast, we talk about many different styles and different genres, but we cannot hit them all. If you want us to talk about a specific artist or a specific genre if they're coming to the area, please email hambonerelay at gmail.com. We'll, we'll reply back. Believe me, our email box is not blowing up. So please, if you if there's somebody specific, what are you talking about, talk bro? To, people love us, dude. Not about the well. I mean, like the <laughs> podcast. Of course, people love Mark Brown. True. We get fan mail from Mark Brown. By the way, this podcast is run by Hambone Relay. My name is Rob Tate. I play the drums and say a lot of useless jargon on a microphone. And over there is Mark Brown on the uh, he plays organ and he runs the computer for uh, the, the podcast. Hey. And he'll jump in and out of this conversation whenever the fuck he feels like it. You can't cuss on this podcast. Today's guest is somebody really special. There are folks, musicians will understand, there are folks who study one instrument their whole life. And it, that's their life's mission is to be able to play that one instrument and like really become a badass and like, you know, follow the history of it. Then you have folks that only really know how to create a great song and like really know how to songwrite. But they aren't necessarily the most technical on an instrument, but they use that as a vehicle to write great tunes but then you also have people that sing like motherfuckers but can't play for themselves and they can't write and they need people to help them some and then you have the next layer which is like sometimes you got mixes of two out of the three this motherfucker is three out of three this dude plays every fucking instrument on almost all his almost every instrument on all his records he's the humblest dude i've ever met in philly and that's true and also he's a crazy singer and he has a great tune and I didn't realize this, but he has like over six, five, six records online, and it blew my mind. I was like, oh, shit, and EPs, like little two sides. Um, plays most of the instruments, like I said. He's so humble, and he also follows the footsteps of such greats as like Stevie Wonder, Todd Rundgren, and Sh- uh, Suge Otis. Please allow me to introduce one of Philly's best. This is John Bickle. What's up, buddy? Hi. Thank you for having me. No problem. I, I truly um, love... Uh, your style of songwriting and your voice. Um, you just put a new record out. Yes, sir. Kith and Kin, right? Kith and Kin. Congrats, yeah. dude. Thank you very much. Me and Mark actually, he texted me. He's like, have you heard the new record? I was like, only the first track. He's like, it's fucking awesome. So I listened <laughs> to the rest of it. Dude, uh, I freaking love it. Thank you. Positive emotion, when that bass drum drops, makes my whole body like wiggle. <laughs> it's so badass. Are you playing drums on that track? Yeah, that's, yeah, actual drums. Are you actually playing drums on the whole thing on this one? Um, so it, it varies. So some songs I'll do actual all full kit, something very simple. I'm not a, a very good drummer, so I can do shut like... Shut the fuck up. I can, <laughs> shut the fuck up. I can, oh. I can do two and four stuff, but... Um, Me too. That's it. Uh, a lot of the... A lot of the earlier stuff, I would actually assemble the drum beats one piece at a time. So I do the whole bass drum track and then the whole hi hat and snare and stuff. But you would have fooled um, me. 
Um, if you haven't checked out John Bickle, you're you're incredible. Uh, keys, piano, uh, not really. You tour with a, uh, a Rhodes, correct? Yeah, a Rhodes and a Moog uh, Voyager. Is it difficult to t- to move that fucking thing? No, the Rhodes it's not, itself. It's not bad. It's a it's a um, a 1980 uh, Rhodes 54 key, so mm-hmm. it's a little bit smaller. Um, it is heavy, but it, it fits in the back of a sedan, so it's actually pretty manageable. Is that what you got? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, we have. We all have. Super, everyone in the band has Subarus. I think. Um, is that like? Houston. Is that like the? Uh, it's a prerequisite. The prerequisite. Yeah. <laughs> you have a Subaru? No, get the fuck out. Oh, no, you um, can't join the band, man. Sorry. Yeah, that, like this. The parking lot we were rehearsing only allows Subarus. It's very exclusive. <laughs> um, my Kia Souls actually made me lose a couple gigs. So <laughs> sorry to hear that, man. <laughs> was like, what the fuck are we talking? About? <laughs> But no, I do love the tune. All those songs are great. How long have you been working on the new records called Kith and Kin? How long have you been working on this? Um, I so I started it right before I released the rack, last record. So I probably had two of the songs done before the last record was released. Well, the, so. re- the record before it was called what? Vox Animo. Now at the end of that record, you have the first track off the new record. Yeah, it's a little teaser. It's like a teaser. Like was a, that intentional? Well, I. <laughs> During the writing process, I was kind of like getting to the point where I wanted to mix it, and um, I had this. That's how a lot of the songs start: is these little snippets. Um, and that one was just like, you know, I was at work one day and kind of thought the whole thing up, and was like kind of chewing on it in my head, and it never kind of turned into anything at the moment. So I just put down what I had, and um, I uh, was at the point of mixing, and I was like, you know what, I'll just. I'll throw it on the record. Like it, it, it's like it's kind of funny. It's it, to end the the song on uh, a uh, an augmented five. So it's like a, if you're in C and and the the record on a, a G seven augmented five. It just was like a it felt like a joke to me. So it's pretty funny. It's like <laughs> it's a great hook. It's like forty seconds or something, right? It's yeah, like, it's very short. It's not long at all. You're like, where's the rest of it? Um, did but, did he cut it? Did he make a mistake? <laughs> but you you record this all yourself, right? Yeah, correct. It's all done. Yeah, in my uh, in my, it's like a it's a bedroom pretty much. It's not in my bedroom, but it's it is another bedroom. And do you like rename the studio with every record when you move or whatever? Like you just to throw people off? Uh yeah. Well, so the last so Vox Animal was recorded mostly at uh, Mall Street. I lived in Mall, Mall Street in Philly. Oh, cool. Um, for a year, and the one before that was actually recorded at my parents' house in uh, Wallingford, Pennsylvania, and um. Uh, Kith and Kin was all at uh, my new house that I live in now, and it's also in Wallingford. Oh, that's so cool. So, yeah. Do you uh, live alone? You got roomies or whatever? I live with my girlfriend. Oh, uh, that's awesome. And a dog, yeah. And we, a dog? What kind of dog is it? Uh, he's uh, he's like half pig, half... Uh, Say pig? <laughs> yeah, he's, 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 uh, he's a mutt. We don't know what he is. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, my pup is just like a freaking uh, terrier pit. And it's just like it looks like a mini pit. Uh, her, she's awesome though. She's she's cool. Half pig though. That's pretty. Yeah, he's... that's pretty exclusive. I'm sure you'd pay extra for that shit. Yeah, he's got a lot of piggish tendencies. Was sure. <laughs> <laughs> with this record though? Was there something specific you were trying to convey, or was this just a batch of tunes that seemed to flow well together? Because mm. there's like 11 or 12 songs, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a good flow. It's got that. Like neo soul mixed with R and B and rock tinges throughout the, the the album. I listened to it like two or three times. Was there a specific message you were trying to get across with it? 
I don't think so. Um, nothing, nothing stands out. I mean, so it was kind of a result of my writing process, um, at the time. So I was, ex I was experimenting with different ways of writing songs. And, um, a lot of this album came out of, uh, these things where I would, I would set an hour, uh, time limit and I would try to do as much of a song as possible. Like not the actual recording, but the, the demo version. So within the first five minutes I have, I have to set a chord progression. So like make a chord progression, okay, and then next five minutes write lyrics, and then next five minutes like just like let the kind of it's kind of like a a way to stimulate creativity by setting a time limit. Um, do you do this every day? No, no, not every day. I mean, just when I have have an hour to set aside. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and so that's that kind of spurred a lot of the um, the basic ideas for the tracks, and like like Deep Run River was like all of it was written in an hour. Um, and then it's a matter of going back and like adding complexities to it and, um, kind of make, make, trying to make it more interesting for a listener and, you know, spending more time getting the instrumental parts correct and recording each part and making it sound neat and clean and going back over it and throwing it away and starting over. It's just like a, a, a reiterative process. What percentage of the tracks that came out now are a part of those, were, were those original demos? Were, uh, like, like the, from so the, the recordings demo? on this record, any percent of them, like the original demos that you made, or did you like, you made the demo, like in your hour, you created the song and then you put that aside and then you recreated like a better version of it. Or did you mm. use the demo and like put things on top and like, or just fix it up? Right. Um, so Deep Run River is definitely was in the same uh, logic file as the, the demo. Okay. Uh, it was originally like three or four uh, keyboards. I think the Wurlitzer and a Rhodes and um, something else, all kind of doing a unison thing. And it was like it had this kind of like really ethereal sound. And um, I was like, yeah, I'd like to do it on grand piano. Um, so I took it, uh, I used to work at, uh, Swarthmore college and, um, I would kind of sneak out of work and, <laughs> and go to the music wing. And, uh, one day I brought a recording machine and, um, I set it up, I recorded everything on, they have a Steinway B in one of the practice rooms. And, That's awesome. um, yeah, it was, I thought it sounded great. I took it to the mixing engineer and he's like, oh, I can't do anything with this. So we actually had to rent out a studio <laughs> to re-record it. Yeah. So we went to uh, M Studios in uh, Philadelphia. If, uh, oh, I've heard of that. I've never been. It's um, it's down by like the strip clubs and uh, show and tell and all that. I'm good. Mark might want to go. But I, I'm <laughs> oh, good. really? Oh, really? <laughs> this is Micah Forsyth, right? Who, who, yeah, uh, the mixing engineer. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I know he does a lot of stuff with a couple friends of our, well, mine. You're probably, are you friends with the Ill Dudes guys? Yeah, yeah. Scott, uh, Scott Ziegler, I know, um, I know pretty well. And do you know Jordan a little bit? He's the drummer. I've, we, he's subbed for us once. I've met him a couple times. Yeah, he's a good he's, dude. He's a good dude. He's nice. And, and Scott and I went, were in a couple of ensembles together in school in college oh, cool. yeah. yeah he was a i think he was two years younger than me i forget but they're good dudes and they're they're hustling um back to your writing uh i know for us we do a lot of um we haven't done as much collaboration writing as we ha as we want to and it sounds like you you got a great system where'd you get the hour system was it just something you came up with like five minutes to write the corporation five five minutes to write the lyrics and melodies and stuff yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, like the creative process for me is uh, is a lot about setting limitations, mm -hmm. and so the more uh, 
strict you are with your limitations and you can even be creative in how strict you are with your limitations and um it kind of can spur something it kind of it came out of the idea of like like sometimes i would go to sit down and play something and record something and i would spend kind of like just like four hours working on one part of one thing Mm -hmm. and it would it would it would be like a quarter of a song and I would list, have listened to it so many times that it's like, where you know, where the hell am I going to take this? Like, I, it's just kind of like impeded the the whole creative process. So it was like, well, maybe if I step back and try to redesign the process a little bit, um, it can like just spur more creativity, and it definitely worked. I mean, I think like forcing yourself to get up and and move to a new instrument or move to a new part of the the, the process of creating, um, it just kind of pushes the whole thing along. No, I like that. I re- I used to have a teacher that made me do that, uh, mm-hmm. Eric Johnson, who speaking on drums, like you you, uh, yeah. you have to solo, but you can only use you can only use this part of the the measure, and you can only use these drums, and you're like ah, so, <laughs> and it always like you always did come out with some interesting concepts, you know, and I'm sure it's the same case for you. Mm-hmm. Did you go to school for music? I forget. No, no, I was uh, um. I went to school for botanical taxonomy, so like botany and biology and that sort of thing. No shit. Yeah. Do you have a botany gig now? I work. I'm. I work. So I'm in grad school right now for uh, agricultural phytopathology, which is um, like plant disease specialization. No way. Yeah. So I do uh, fungal pathology mostly in agriculture. You would love Devin. Devin does a lot of plant uh, work, herbology stuff. Our, our sub guitar, one of our sub guitar players. Okay, and uh, no, that's fascinating as hell. So you do this like on the side for like fun? Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. It's, it's my that's... Uh, my superhero alter ego. <laughs> <laughs> what would your superhero alter ego name be though? Like you're uh, John Bickle, the botanist, or the the yeah. whatever you said with that yeah. <laughs> um, verbose. Title. But what would your what would your superhero musician name be what would your uh, stage name be caveman i guess caveman that's good though <laughs> I, I just i mean it lets you kind of you don't have to shave or anything fucking just be fucking <laughs> naked and life just sounds fucking good doesn't it yeah. at that point um i said this earlier but i didn't realize how many albums you had yeah. of material mm-hmm. you you have like five records spanning all the way back to like 2014 i believe yeah yeah that's nuts yeah well i was like the 2014 stuff, um, there's like a bunch of collections and, um, it was, uh, a friend of mine was like, I, I had been recording this stuff and amassing it since I started like making music when, when I was probably, I guess around 13 or 14 mm-hmm. and, um, I got a little recording machine, um, this little Tascam thing. Is this the same the thing that went to the Steinway? The same machine that you took? The no, I got, I got a smaller <laughs> version of that, um, cause I missed it so much. So this... This thing was like, um, it's a Tascam, um, I forget what series it is, it was an 8-track recorder. Oh, okay. And so the um, the record before Vox Animo was recorded on that, um, and it was all overdubs and bounced down, you know, like you bounce, you record six tracks and bounce down to two, record six tracks and... Right, like the Beatles did when they first make those b- big records, right? They were doing yeah. like four channel, and then they'd take that and put it in one channel, and then do the next four and put it to the one channel and stuff like that. Yeah. That's nuts. That that was, it's a really, uh, it's a cool process to do that because um, there's so much more uh, commitment 
to what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. if you're bouncing it down, like you can't go back and change it. You can pretty much adjust the EQ, but beyond that, it's like... Are you fairly comfortable with that? Um, not anymore, no. <laughs> well, I mean, you have the capability that you don't have to do that anymore, but like, did, did you grow that capability of like, well, this is what it is, and let it go? Are you pretty good at that? Yeah, yeah. Like, I, that helped you develop that, like I, being able to let go. Yeah, I think so. And just kind of like being able to put something down and, and step away from it and like... Be like, okay, it is what it is. See, Mark and I have talked about this a lot with our Hambone records. Um, Mark knows how um, discouraged and cynical I can be hmm. about anything recording. True. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you you told me this rule, uh, the, the three the three try rule. Oh, what, oh so like uh, after about the third or fourth take, it's it's you just it's not going to get any better. It's it's you've. You've, you can do 60 takes, but you always end up taking the second or third take usually. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least, at least in my experience, like, you can, you can beat a dead horse, but like, this is you, right? Right. Like, the, you're being very honest in those first couple takes. Right. Like, and then, and then you start overthinking it. Yeah. By like the 15th take, you're like, you're like planning it out. It's not organic anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And that's what's funny is that like, you had a, through your the way you're working through your tunes is you kind of came you just like you had to you had to let it go mm-hmm. you'd be like that's the part you know i have to bounce it down to a, to a tracks and do whatever yeah. for us it's like you get three tries <laughs> i mean that's not true like but like you've in, in in our experience like after about the fifth take you it's like it's i really try not to go anywhere near you know? five i try to i try to be like within four and then after that i'm like yeah Bye. <laughs> you know, try to do your thing. But that's awesome. So when you recorded this record, you had, I'm guessing, like a, a pro rig, like a computer, and you were able to like... Yeah, uh, Logic Pro 10. And I have a little, uh, like a four-channel uh, Personas thing. I mean, like, yeah, it doesn't, I mean, when you did the drums, I assume that you just did like the bass, snare, overhead. Yeah, uh, for a couple of them. Um, one of them, uh, Maybe Baby, is um, I'm pretty sure it's just one... Uh, Audio Technica AT2020, like kind of in the middle of the yes, drum set. <laughs> dude, I love that shit, and it sounds it sounds good. Yeah, it turned out really nice. I think I was that was all in um, the Mole Street house, or that one that one song was actually Mole Street. Um, that was an outtake from the last record that I included. But um, I think it sounded so good because that was my bedroom at the time, and I had like a a nice big bed to kind of soak up all the the excess sound, and it kind of just made like a nice clean drum room. this work ethic since 2014 just cranking out tunes how much of a back catalog do you have right now um well i mean there's so on bandcamp there's a lot a lot of stuff there's like all of every song i've ever written i think is on bandcamp okay and it's in like these just like extras like just i would put like 13 of them together and just, oh you just like, store them up there yeah it was i kind of put them all in alphabetical order and that was stuff that was done um, before, um, uh, let's see. So that extras, and then there was like thoughts and grooves, which is kind of just like a bunch of random stuff, uh, put together. Um, and then there's rich, like mama, which is like, just like 
Um, I had just moved back from college at that point and was kind of experimenting with my, I moved back to my parents' house, was recording, I kind of took over their the living room. Sure, was, I fucking love that. Yeah, there's... <laughs> Yeah, so got rid of all the pesky furniture, put all the keyboards in. And if you listen to the background, you can hear your parents like arguing with you, like on the takes, right? Dude, I love your hair and rich like mama, dude. Oh yeah, it's epic, dude. Oh yeah. In high school, I wanted an afro in the worst way, and that's, that's dude. Let's trade. I want what you had. <laughs> My jufro did not look good. I'll show you. Hold on. No, I'll, I'll find a photo after. It's it's bad. I had like the. This. <laughs> it, it was the whitest Jufro. I had little, actually, check this out. I used to have ringlets in the front on my forehead that what? old ladies would come up and go, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was awful. Um, but hey, some ladies liked it. <laughs> Just they were a little older. Um, oh my God. So actually, I did have this question. Yeah. Who do you find yourself, yourself stealing from? In terms of arrangements, I know you love Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. just because I've seen you play a bunch of times. But is there someone in particular, like a favorite artist, that you steal from songwriting arrangement arranging the most? Um, like the like the song structure or well, song structure and also the vibe or... and the the genre. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. It's like so in the process of writing, um, a lot of times I'll kind of I'll just like start kind of plowing through it and I'll get to a point where um, I'll be like man this kind of reminds me of this and mm-hmm. like then I'll just kind of put like full bore as much as possible trying to sound like that as possible like and it'll never get even close and but it's kind of like um, another way to to grab on to like that creative wave you know mm-hmm. um, you or I, I feel like if it reminds me of something then I feel inspired to emulate it mm-hmm. and it's like yeah, it just kind of carries itself. But so it's not it's not like you're actually intent on doing that. Like if it sounds like something, it'll try to go that way, but not. Yeah, I yeah. got you. It's um I I rarely will start something with with the intention of copying something, but most times if it does remind me, I will I will grab onto that as much right. as possible. So there's no one set like artist you're like this is like the guy that I try to emulate. And no, not really. You just try to create and if it comes out sounding like something like all the better and then you move in that direction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And no. that's and that's kind of why I mean a lot of the song styles on Kith and Kin are kind of all over the place. Like so you have the these great records and I said this already in the past like twenty minutes already how much I like these records. <laughs> but the one thing I was gonna ask and I hope it's not rude is um, I know that you're in the, the Bickle Brothers band. That's you and your your brother Pat and Gustin and Chris, Christopher. Um, does he prefer Chris or Christopher? I never actually understood. I call him Chris. Okay. Chrissy Baby. Chrissy Baby. Yeah. Hey, Chrissy Baby. <laughs> um, but I've only seen you a couple times do John Bickle shows, mm-hmm. like where it's all your original songs. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is there a reason for that? You don't really want to tour with your music or is it just something that never came up like where do you stand mm. on that i i'm always interested in adding more originals to the set mm-hmm. um i think like when it when it boils down to it we are we are still kind of very much a bar band and, and a cover band yeah and and we do put on a good show like we mm-hmm. it's entertaining and people like the songs that we're covering you know and we'll do probably 15, I don't know, 20% original stuff throughout mm-hmm. a night of covers. 
and we'll kind of just like slide them in between two songs that people know and um it kind of uh satisfies that that need to play original stuff but then we can also have three hours of music and uh people aren't you know like they're hearing songs that they recognize right you're holding the crowd but you still slip your stuff in there and it it scratches that itch yeah i've seen you guys a few times i've seen you guys as the Bickle brothers and also i saw you perform your just solely your music with john gilbride on a john gilbride gig in in philly i oh, think right. it was at bourbon and branch yeah that um, sounds right um but i saw you guys recently at time and you crushed it you the crowd you had the crowd in your hand you did like i think you did parliament and mm-hmm. i think you did you know like use me and something else that was pretty big um I can't remember it now, but you had you you're killing it, and you had you had the crowd, and, and you know what's funny is that you kind of remind me of us in the sense that we we love that funk R and B old school yeah, yeah. like keys and and like that sixteenth note pocket thing, that, mm-hmm. like like a, a James Gadsden thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, how did did the band start out that way? Did it, was it like supposed to be like a like a corporate band like you guys are just doing this for the gigs for the money or was this supposed to be like a rock band or something i was just curious <laughs> what was the the origin of it uh of the bickle brothers themselves origin of the bickle brothers um well i guess so my brother uh when he was uh, 13 or 14 my dad bought him a bass my, my dad's a musician so that's really? that's kind of like yeah that that's really the origin is um, growing up watching him and he was he was very active in the music scene and media in Philadelphia and um, as we were growing up so he's did a, he like did you guys play together me you, uh, you and your dad like. yeah at home and stuff and um, my so my brother expressed interest in playing bass when he was pretty young um, and my parents bought him a bass and our neighbor was a drummer at the time um, and so they would kind of get together and play together. And uh, I was playing trombone for, I played trombone for about 10 years. Um, but at the time I was like, well, trombone's not going to be like a cool addition to like a drum and bass duo. Actually, the sack butt's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Mark Brown played the sack butt. True. The bonus. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, we had keyboards around the house and uh i was like maybe i'll just maybe i'll just play keyboards and so kind of horned my way into that and then um my brother uh met this guitar player through high school and we started a blues band so we we were uh johnny b and the irving street blues band yes and i was i was probably 11 or 12 wow when we started when uh our first gig i was probably 13 what was your first gig uh, there's a bar called CJ's. Um, Never not, heard of it. Not sure where it is. I don't remember. Not burned down after they, yeah. you guys played there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's since uh, defunct, but uh, yeah, that was our, our first gig. and So we were a blues band for a long time, uh, all throughout high school for me, mm-hmm. like my high school career. And then um, we kind of lost uh, the Johnny B thing and kind of went to Irving Street Blues was a thing for a while. How come you did um, that? How come you got rid of the the name? Uh, it well, it, it was both cheesy and unwieldy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? Go ahead. <laughs> Tell me more. Like Johnny B and the Irving Street Blues Band is like, I mean, like if you're Bruce Springsteen, you could pull off a name that long, but like true. 
You we, didn't exactly have a Thunder Road under your belt no. to, to throw, <laughs> throw off. Yeah. So we, we wanted something simple, something people could memorize. and. Mm-hmm. Got tired of people messing it up when they're introducing us and whatever. So, oh, dude, I've heard some awful uh, introductions of bands that like not even close. <laughs> like Lux, uh, we had we had friends named Lux. I've heard like three different variations of their name. Luke's, like, or like what the Groove Merchants? No, like no, like like bands like that they, their names get introduced like poorly. We right. get called the Hambone Relay every now every now and again. That's not that bad. It's not that bad, I but was, it's still. I was in a band called the Late Ancients, which got called the Late Asians one time. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. We we I was in a band uh, it, it called the Overexposed. Don't laugh at the name. Um, and we were still looking for a new name. And so we had a gig at Chris's Jazz. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. We, were, we had a gig at Chris's Jazz Cafe, and we needed a new name. So right before the gig, we're like, uh, uh, Silhouette. Yeah, that's a cool name. Silhouette. And then we're on stage, and they announce it. Everyone in the band goes, Please, ladies and gentlemen, to the Chris's Jazz Cafe. Silhouette. And yes, just man, man there's some bad there's some bad band names. But anyway, please continue. So you're the Irving Street Blues band. Irving Street Blues. Uh simultaneously. So um uh Gustin, who is our drummer now, um he was uh he was also a neighbor of mine. So we grew up together. Uh he was like kind of through attractive woods, so not on the same street, but like we could hang out together. Mm-hmm. Uh and we started a band together in sixth grade so that was i was probably 11 at the time like kind of so right when you picked up keys you, you around started the, a band with Gustin. yeah we, we i went both ways so <laughs> <laughs> uh Gustin and our, our friend elliot and our friend will um and we were the psychedelic lemon that that's was, a great band name <laughs> that was, that's great that was the original uh so uh i played with that band all throughout high school too uh we eventually changed the name to mother Gustin. That's which, also good. Which was uh, I like that high <laughs> quality name, um, <laughs> and then uh, Irving Street Blues. Um, I went to when I went to college. Uh, I was in Virginia, so I would come back like once a month to play a gig. Um, and Irving Street Blues kind of the guitar player moved to Taiwan, and the drummer um, kind of went and did his own thing. So we we started kind of exploring different options, and at, took the opportunity to kind of changed the whole vibe of everything. We were becoming more interested in funk music and the music uh, we grew up listening to. Like, I didn't grow up listening to blues. We we would... It was all Marvin Gaye and Aretha Franklin and Al Green and... Um, what's your far, Wait, what's your favorite Marvin Gaye record? Uh, if you had to pick one. I mean, what's going on is, is like... Oh, classic. It's an absolutely perfect album. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Like more recently, "Here, My Dear" has been really. That's the one he did for his wife as a settlement. Is that? Yeah, yeah. I've heard that story. The divorce record. Oh, that's so fun. Is it any good? It's, uh, it's, it's. Uh, well, I mean, it's your favorite, other favorite now. So I shouldn't. It's like a really funky cheese. You know, it's like you got to really want to be in the mood for it. <laughs> I can imagine that. I can imagine that. Uh, but it's. I I love it. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Hey, have you? You know what? Have you seen? Um, We'll get back to that. Side note, have you seen, I'm guessing you've seen Standing in the Shadows of Motown? It's been a while, but yeah. Like that whole thing where they talk about that era when they're recording that, James Jamerson's on his back, like recording. How ridiculous is that? He's hammered. He's playing the most influential bass lines of all time. Yeah, he like was doing a genius, man. Yeah, yeah. That, that's um, Patrick's favorite 
favorite bass player. Oh, you could tell. So yeah, when I I would wait, I remember um, waking up every morning when I was in middle school to uh, he would have been awake for like an hour listening to and playing along with uh, like the Four Tops and stuff. James Jamerson, he'd like love James Jamerson. That's so cool. Yeah, he was he was made to be a bass player. How how, how much older is he than you? He is. Uh, Three years. He was born in 87. I was born in yeah. 1990. I was born in 90. Oh, yeah. What month? When you were born? December 1st. Nice. Yeah. I was January the 18th. So I'm a little ahead of you, but it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but your brother is a badass bass player, like Jesus Christ. I remember when, when I saw him for the first time, I was like, I want to play with him. <laughs> that looks like fun. I want to, yeah. No. I want to play with him. You can tell him that I said that because it's true. Like, just the way he plays uh, his, his 16th notes in, like, combination with some rhythms. I'm just like, ah. Yeah, <laughs> and he's, he's a funky dude. Bigel Brothers is a badass band. Anyway, so you're listening to, like, Marvin Gaye and, like, the, the classic stuff. Yeah, so we, uh, Pat and I were, were raised listening to that. We're, like, we'd be playing with Legos, and, you know, that's what our parents would, would be playing on the radio. Uh, so a lot of Bickle Brothers band was getting back to um, that influence. So, uh, like... You know Stevie Wonder and stuff, and I was getting more into singing at the time, and um, it just kind of morphed. Gustin joined the band around that time, like during when I was in college, and Chris Grassi kind of at that time too, and then it morphed into um, what it is now, the Bickle Brothers. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so and we started working a lot more once Chris joined the band. He does a lot of like the outreach and. Interfacing. And He's stuff. good at that stuff. The he business is. side of that. He's a business. A natural extrovert. That one. Yeah, <laughs> it's good, always good to have at least one in the group. Would That's you say good. that he's the only extrovert in the four of you, or? Probably. I mean, we're all personable, but mm-hmm. I think he's he's the one that is willing to spend the most energy going out and meeting people for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I like. I'm always interested by the blend in different bands. Like, what what is the blend? Mm-hmm. You know, like laid back pushy but there's always the mix is always good or else the thing just fall, falls apart you don't oh, have yeah. enough of a mix um but no i mean i love all those dudes they can all play and they're all mm. you guys are all very personable and yeah thank you funky yeah. as fuck um <laughs> i'm telling you go see the bickle brothers they're great We call this whip it out your cell phone. Whip out your cell phone and let's let's check out the last five things that John Bickle's been checking out. In fact, hey Mark, do you uh, have your Spotify too? Yeah, I can pull up. Yeah, let's 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 share. Oh, okay. It's sharing time. Here, I'll do mine because I've been like jumping all over the place. Obviously, you. Here are the last five things I've been checking out. Um, the steel drivers. Because I never really got into them. Oh, good stuff. You know the Steel Drivers? No. They're an epic band. It, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. That's the band Chris Stapleton was yeah, that in. Yeah, right? that was the band he was in, yeah. And they're just... Chris Stapleton is one of the best singers in country right now, but like one of the best singers of, all, like of the 2010s, 2000s. He's okay. fucking awesome. And I've been listening to this record called uh, Reckless. 
Mm. It's it's badass. Uh, we're actually going on tour this weekend, and we're doing a bunch of Allman Brothers songs. Oh, nice. So I've been really diving into the Fillmore East record again. Yeah, man. Do you have a lot of history with that uh, album, the Allman Brothers, the Fillmore East, live at the Fillmore East? I was always an Eat a Peach guy, um, which is like half mm-hmm. Fillmore East. Um, but That's yeah. the one that came out right after Dwayne died, right? Yeah. yeah. It was like half of it was recorded after... That's, that, yeah. that's crazy. That's not like a 45-minute mountain jam, dude. Yeah. Hey, don't knock it. <laughs> I love it. I'm not, not, are, you, are you kidding? We're going to cover it, right, this weekend? We'll just we, do it. We didn't practice it. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll if it. you want to see a train wreck, come to a Hambone Relay down <laughs> in Charlotte. Charlotte Brothers <laughs> didn't practice it either, dude. It sounded great. <laughs> come to uh, Charlottesville on uh, January 18th in uh, at the Whiskey Jar. Um, I went back and listened to Born to Run, Little Springsteen. Nice. Uh, the boss. The boss, little Clapton, old school Clapton. It was a record that oh, didn't mean to play it. <laughs> My bad. Um, it's called uh, "Back Home." It's a uh, record came out in like the 2000s. I think Steve Gadd's playing drums. Oh, wonderful! Like his his road band. It's badass. It's Clapton trying to be a pop like rock singer, but like the band is so good, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's who, so uh, who else is on it? Um, uh, I think yeah. it's it's either Paladino or Willie Weeks. I think on oh, bass. Man. I gotta check that out. I, let me double check so I'm not like speaking out of school. <laughs> I do that. Mark knows I do that, and then I'm like, oh, I'm wrong. It's cool. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey, Mark, tell us the. Uh, you, you want my quick? Yeah, one? give me your back five here, All right. or your last five. Uh, so actually, I was listening to Doc, Dr. John. Yeah, uh, uh, which one? Early Dr. John, The Sun, Moons, and the Herbs. It's like a second record. Hmm. It's really weird. But I was just trying to like, I love like, like, de- uh, um, what, des- des- I can't talk, Desitively Bonnaroo, that tune, that that album that has like, uh, everybody want to get rich right away. Oh, I that know. Tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I love that record in that era, like Right Place, Wrong Time, and that shit. But I, I haven't Classic. listened to a lot of his old stuff. So I was checking out like his really early stuff, and it's super weird and psychedelic. Um, Stolen Rose, which is a Philly band that I just played with last week, so I was learning tunes with them. Um, Billy Preston. Mm. Which record? The Kids and Me. Great album. I don't know that one. I don't know well. if I know that one either. Um, doesn't have a lot, of, not a lot of tunes on there that I think you'd recognize, um, but it's, it's, it's funky as hell. Um, mm. You know the band Orgone? Yeah. You heard of them? Yeah. They are awesome. They put out a record recently called, I think it was recent, called Undercover Mixtape, and it's like all yeah, covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really awesome. They do like Look a Pie Pie by the Meters and stuff. I have it's it. really uh-huh. good. Yeah. They do a great job, like really um, yeah. like, honest to the original recording. Yeah, yeah it's I've really, really that, good. Yeah. And then I was listening to uh, oh, <clears throat> Dead Live in se- Europe 72 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. classic. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's it. <laughs> What do you got, man? Oh, uh, real quick. Uh, it was um, Nathan East and Pino. Oh. Okay. And Paul Fakuri. I don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. It's also Abe Laboreal on drums, but Steve Gadd and like Robert Randolph, Billy Preston, Steve Winwood, oh, Doyle cool. Hall, Vince nice. Gill, a lot of people. Awesome. I gotta check that out. All right, here is the last five <laughs> with John Bickle. Um, albums? What do we got? Singles, albums. Um, uh, talking Heads. Remaining Light. Yeah. It's like one of my all-time favorites. What's on, what's on that album? Is that the one with the... Uh, uh, that's that's the one with uh, Once in a Lifetime on it, but like yeah. the rest of the album is, is wonderful. Uh, like Born Under Punches and uh, Seen and Not Seen. Our friend is in the um, uh, start, Stop Making Sense. Oh, really? 
Yeah, yeah Alex Ayala, he's the keys player. Okay. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've never seen them, but I've heard I hear, good things. I hear good things, too. <laughs> I haven't seen him, but I know he's in the band. Uh, go ahead. What, what's, what else you got? Uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I've been on a kick of their like mid-'70s stuff. Oh, um, yeah. Like, just, like, the real ages, like... Mm-hmm. That four, like, the Four on the Floor stuff, like, yeah. party tunes. Mm-hmm. You want to giggle, listen to September, listen to the BPM in the beginning, and the BPM, as soon as the horns come in, it is hilarious, and you got to have a click, a click, like a metronome. It's, like, 15, 17 clicks difference. Really? <laughs> it's fast. And at the end, I think the drummer goes like, are you sure you want to keep that tape? The time was all fucked up. And the, and the, the singer, um, uh, Maurice was, White, Maurice White was like, it was funky. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> uh, and look at that song. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Big mistake there, buddy. Wow. Uh, yeah, like the album uh, Faces and Rays. They're like, mm-hmm. not as uh, famous as um, some of the other stuff. Um, let's see what else. <laughs> some uh, Brazilian and some African music. Like what? Um, Robson Jorge e Lincoln Olivetti. It's I like, don't know. Uh, so um, Gustin gives me suggestions all the time. Like he's like always looking for new stuff. Um, it's like, uh, 70s Brazilian Earth, Wind, and Fire knockoff a little bit. Really? But it's also, like, kind of Steely Danish in a way. It's, it's really, really cool. What um, is it? Spell it. Uh, if you search Ro- Robson, R-O-B-S-O-N, uh, J-O-R-G-E. Got it. Um, Robson Jorge. They're a, they're a happy punch. <laughs> yeah. Um, that... That album is is ridiculous. Um, African music, uh, Akindengue is um, another one of Gustin's suggestions. Uh, the Gore album is really cool, um, and Fleet Foxes. I'm like in love with Fleet Foxes. You're a huge fan. I am. I believe my girlfriend loves that band too. And that's it. They're 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 good from what I what I've seen. I need to dive more into it. It's uh, it's very clean and just like I don't know. Is it like Wall of Sound? At times, kind of like yeah. like waves of of, uh, of chord just hitting you at once. Yeah, it's just like beautifully in tune and um, really uh, awesome lyrics, lyrics and songwriting. You seem like a Brian Eno guy. Are you? No, I tried. Really? I, recently, I tried. I was like, nah. is I it mean, like you're anti the Beach Boys or even like his stuff like later? Beach Boys. I'm not. I'm not thinking of Brian Eno. That's Brian not, Wilson. That's Brian Wilson. I meant Brian Eno. Sorry, I mixed them up. I like <laughs> Brian Eno as well. I'm having a stroke. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> you mean Brian Wilson? Uh, no, I meant Brian Eno. Oh, you meant Brian, Brian Wilson. Wilson. Different guy, but okay. also good. Okay. Um, Brian Eno's stuff for me feels very, um, very simple but wavy at the same time. It's like full sound, and I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Jordan from Ill Dudes was showing me a lot of it. Brian Eno's stuff. Brian okay. Eno's work. Yeah. Um, here, so real quick. the end of this podcast, we always like to do what's called lightning round. Okay. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you answer them as fast as you fucking possibly can. <laughs> you ready? Okay. I might choke on something. <laughs> <laughs> the song, that album, song or album that made you want to play music? 
You know what's funny is they never do it. As, it's not as fast as they can. Everyone stops and goes, uh. Oh, uh, panic. Uh, I'm going to edit hard. it so that it sounds like you just nailed them. Just <laughs> <blasted it. laughs> Lightning around. <laughs> Mark's going to put in crickets and say, fuck you, John. <laughs> I remember watching my dad's band, uh, Leroy Hawks and the Hypnotics, play um, Can I Change My Mind by um, Tyrone Wilson or something. Can I change my mind? Yeah. What was, um, Tyrone Davis. Tyrone Davis. Um, that's like one of my earliest memories. And that song has been just like super inspirational ever since. And um, yeah, that just like always reminds me of watching my dad play. And that's always been such a big inspiration for me to start playing. By the way, he, does he play keys? Or? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So did he show you anything? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he taught me Chopsticks. That was our first mm. song that he taught me. Um, and then I think after that he taught me Martha My Dear by the Beatles. Went from Chopsticks to Martha My Dear? I, I don't remember if there was anything in between. But That's awesome. We spent, <laughs> <laughs> what a jump. <laughs> in my memory, we spent like years on Martha My Dear. And I, at the time, had only learned, I think, like half of it. Uh, we never learned the B section. Because, but like, yeah. But then like... Um, if I ever had any questions about soloing or that sort of thing, um, he was always kind of there to just like bounce questions off. And, That's really cool. Yeah. That's really sweet. You get to have that environment with your pop, and he also you, if you ever have a question, just yeah, yeah. And he's he still plays. He's uh, he he lives in North Carolina now. Okay. Um, my parents moved down there in about ten years ago. How um, old is he now? Shot in the dark. 67? <laughs> My pop's about the same. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. What was the first album you ever owned? Uh, Edie Peach. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's uh, the first one I bought with my own money. That's what I mean. Uh, first show you ever saw. Not including your dad. I'm talking like concert. Mm, Allman Brothers. Again. Are you serious? Yeah, it was like around the same time. So that would have been... Uh, I'm guessing... Uh, who were playing? Who's playing guitar at that point? Uh, it was when Derek Trucks and Warren Haynes. Derek was in the band at that point? Um, it was actually the the Philly show. It was at Penn's Landing. Um, and Warren Haynes was sick, so they had a saxophone player. And oh. it was like, it was awesome. I don't remember who it was. Um, it was the best shows. You just, the legend of the sax player. Yeah, I for whatever reason, it, I attached um, Joshua Redman to it, but I don't think it was. I doubt it was. Actually. Could it have been... Um, uh, uh, oh my god, I'm gonna forget his name. What are the two brothers that play sax and um, uh, and trumpet? Marsalis. Marsalis. Could it have been Branford Marsalis? I know he was playing for a lot of pop artists. So it could have been. Yeah, I was young. I didn't know. But he, he's also badass. Um, what was the? Uh, oh my god, what was the last show you went to that you weren't a part of? Hmm. Um. Oh, I went and saw uh, Robert Plant and Nathaniel Rateliff at uh, The Man. Oh, how was that? It was good. It was good. Um, I uh, I was blown away by Nathaniel Rateliff and um, Robert Plant. Uh, it was it was cool to see him live. Um, but Just to was, check off your bucket list. Yeah, yeah, but it, it it didn't blow me away. I was I mean I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin and like I was like wishing that he was still you know twenty something years old and aren't we all able to crush it? But um, but yeah, it was a good show. That's cool. I think that was the last concert I was at. What's your favorite music venue to perform in? Well, for 
sound system quality. I mean, uh, just in general. Like, we're talking green room, <laughs> sound system, yeah. cleanliness. Uh, Ardmore Music Hall is, is an awesome all-around experience. Mm-hmm. Um, You're playing there this weekend. Yeah, on Sunday. That's awesome. Uh, for the Funky Brunch. It's in the morning. Mm-hmm. So we're playing at Sligo and Media the night before. And I'll probably go to bed around 3, and then I have, we have a sound check at 9. So <laughs> it's going to be... And you have to carry the fucking roads. It's going to be a shit. No, we've played the Funky Brunch a couple times. Do you have to play with two bands still, or is it one? Just one. It's two bands, yeah. Who else is on it? I don't know. Well, that's exciting. You just show up and kind of see if it happens. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite venue to go see a show in? I Probably Ardmore Music Hall. I mean, that's such a cool venue. Uh, just because like the sound system is awesome. The people who work there are awesome. Um, and they always get amazing acts there. They do. They're um, really kicking ass in the name game right now. Yeah, the last show I saw there was uh, John Cleary. Um, it was a trio. Do you know John Cleary? Yeah, John. Yeah, he's he badass, loves, dude. I love him. He man. loves John Cleary. Hey. Yeah. Were you at that show by chance? Uh, no, because I think we had a gig. I think I, I, I wanted to go, and I couldn't make it. I don't remember. But, yeah, but he, cool. yeah, he's a huge John Cleary fan. He's got like the live record he did at... Um, was it Maple Leaf? Or, or? Uh, well, he did a solo. So my brother used to live in New Orleans. Oh, so cool. I would go down there a lot. And every Thursday when he was in town, he would play at this club on Frenchman Street, mm-hmm. solo piano. Like do a oh, two-hour wow. happy hour set. Wow. No cover charge. Mm-hmm. Packed. And he'd do like Jelly Roll Morton and like his shit, but just solo piano. And it was so, dude, it was awesome. Yeah. So good. Oh, man. Don't people just call out tunes? He's like, all right. Yeah, like, yeah he'll call, you know, like. Liza Jane, like classic New Orleans. You know, yeah. Like, oh, sure, whatever. You know, but like, <laughs> he's so sick, dude. And so that live album, when we were driving somewhere, and I have a him doing like just solo piano live at Chicky Wawa on Frenchman Street. Okay. And it's, dude, it's so good, man. Mm, I'll have so to check good. that out. Um, all right, favorite artist right now? Uh, right now, I've been on just like this endless Fleet Foxes obsession, um, honestly, and like between that and. Like, I'll kind of just, like, venture back into um, funk stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, 70s funk stuff. Like, um, Earth, Wind, and Fire is a, is a big thing. Yeah. Between the two. I mean, that's I, I'm vacillating a lot. I've been uh, listening a lot to uh, podcasts and, like, interviews and stuff recently. Mm-hmm. Um, Anything in particular? Uh, other than uh, like do you check this out? <laughs> yeah, that was good. Twenty? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, for real though. Like what? What are you checking out on the podcast world? I I know we do ours, but I don't know many other music podcasts. One hundred percent honest. Well, I I don't listen to a lot of music podcasts. Honestly, um, I do like uh, Song Exploder. If you've ever checked that, I've out. heard of that one. It's yeah, it's it's cool from a, a songwriting perspective. Mm-hmm. Um. I heard of one called And the Writer Is. They talk about a lot of pop writers. Oh, cool. Um, my friend Ty uh, showed me that, and they, they show who writes for the big artists and, and where songs come from. Like, you know, if there's like five or six writers, and they'll tell you, like, who wrote what. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I listen to a lot of drummer podcasts. Nerd. Um, <laughs> nerd. Nerd. <laughs> um, but that's what I check out. Um, the Knowledge Project with Shane Parrish. I don't know what that just, is. Just turned on to that one. Um, it's like like interviews with people uh, who are really good at things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, you, like CEOs or like stuff with it's business? A mix, or? yeah. Mix. Um, like the last one I listened to was with this, uh, he's like a mathematician, math teacher. And oh, cool. He's just kind of like talking about using calculus to cure uh, AIDS. It was like 
yeah, it's just like I don't know. <laughs> Wild. I, I feel like Luke and you really get along. I, could, <laughs> I couldn't possibly explain what he was talking about, but um, that was yeah, that's something. Uh, Dude, I do the com- comedians podcasts. Oh yeah, I, oh yeah. Like I like a little bit of Joe Rogan here and there, and then yeah. I'll do like this guy I love. His, his name is uh, Bert Kreischer, uh-huh. and he's like a comedian. He's like a goofball, but he interviews other comics, and I love that world. Just comedians and like the the store out in L.A. and they talk about like all the behind the scenes shit. I love that shit. That's cool. Um, and Mark loves movie po- movie podcasts and stuff, horror movies especially. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I still can't get through The Conjuring 2, by the way. I tried again the other day, uh, and I'm sorry. Save it for the horror movie podcast, bro. Sorry, bro. <laughs> That's on next. All right. <laughs> That's on next. Uh, if you turn your station to... Uh, no, okay. So, last one. What's your favorite album right now? Album in its entirety. Yeah, like a whole album. Not, you know, not just a couple tunes. Like, straight from top to bottom. Uh, there's a ride going on by Sly and the Family Stone. That's, that's awesome. That's oh, I have that one. Have perfect, it. perfect album in every way. Oh, absolutely. That's my that's my Desert Island record. That's the one that has um, not Everyday People. That's the other record. Mm, the the like the biggest hit off of it is uh, Family Affair. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Hey, dude, tell tell people where they can find you online, uh, or the interwebs, or what shows you got coming up. Um, original music at uh, johnbickle.bandcamp.com. Uh, I'm also on Spotify and Apple Music and SoundCloud, if you search John Bickle, B-I-C-K-E-L. Um, playing with the Bickle Brothers Band, usually around the Philly area, um, this Saturday at Sligo in Media, mm-hmm. um, Sunday morning at Ardmore Music Hall. That's uh, January 18th and January 19th. This will probably come out after that, so what else do you have in the month? <laughs> I write these things down. So no, so do I. Know. Mark Brown makes fun of me because I have to write like write down like events twice because I don't know when the fuck our gigs are. <laughs> like, where are we going today? Just just show up at the car, dude. Just, just cool. we'll tell, give me the coordinates. I'll be there. <laughs> I don't want to know the name of the place. Just give me the longitude and latitude. <laughs> I'll be there eventually. Uh, all right, so. Towards the end of the month, I'll, we'll be in uh, Memphis. So my dad's band is actually competing in the International Blues Competition. Shut up. Yeah. So uh, the um, the Blues uh, Association, what is it called? It's not a club. It's a Blues Society uh, in his hometown. It's like uh, the IBC. The, there's Blues Societies all around the country mm-hmm. and around the world, really. And you can kind of audition to uh, get sent to this competition in Memphis. Uh, so we'll be down there from Thursday until Sunday. What dates are those? End of the month. It's uh, the last weekend in January. Um, that is the 29th through the February 2nd. That's awesome. And if they want to find out any other shows for you guys, just go to the Bickle Brothers uh, Facebook page. Facebook page, yeah. Um, we're at Sligo in media once a month. Um, we're, we'll be at Time coming up pretty soon. That's... February 28th, time in Philadelphia from cool. uh, 10 o'clock to 2 a.m. Yeah, and then the next day you can come to Milk Boy to come hang out with Hambone Relay where we're headlining Milk Boy uh, with Suburban Sensi, uh, Squaring the Circle, and John Gilbride. You can come nice. check that out. Hey, man, thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, John fucking Bickle. <laughs> Peace. Peace.